0: This podcast is brought to you by Primed. Marcy, a 34-year-old woman, is here for her annual visit and follow-up of a recent asthma exacerbation. She's been to urgent care several times for treatments of URI and asthma-related cough and wheezing. After taking her history, you determine that she's been using her short-acting beta agonist four to five times a week for her cough. She has had an inhaled corticosteroid in the past, but hasn't used it in over a year. Marcy's not feeling well, and the guidelines have been updated. What's the best plan we have today for Marcy to get her care under control? Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me this morning is Dr. Susan Feeney, Associate Professor and Associate Dean of Advanced Practice Programs at the Tan Ching Fen Graduate School of Nursing at the UMass Chan Medical School. Hi, Susan.
1: Hello, Frank. Oh. As,
0: as spring descends on us here in New England, yeah. coughing, wheezing, sinus congestion is is out of control can you remind us a little bit about what are the evidence-based guidelines that clinicians should be uh, uh, using when they're approaching patients with asthma?
1: Sure well there are two there are two guidelines there's the NEAP which I think we all learned about you know 25 years ago it hasn't been updated as frequently it's a little more cumbersome there are five levels, five steps, and many different treatment options. And then there's the GINA guidelines, and this is the Global Initiative for Asthma, uh, the same organization that does the gold um, guidelines for um, COPD. And it's basically the World Health Organization and the NIH combined. And they came out with updated guidelines they've been updating their guidelines by the way more frequently but the most recent update was last year 2022 and it was pretty significant um they made some 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 significant changes and for those of us who've been caring for people with asthma some of them were like wow you know, we're going to do some of these meds that we thought about as being maintenance and had to be taken every day that they could be done more as a PRN. So these guidelines are, are, they've had, which is really nice, a lot of time to look, and a lot of data to look at the various medications and their efficacy, and how do we really treat people so that they are, their bronchospasms under control. And um, so these guidelines, as I said, came out in 2022. And,
0: All right. So we have new evidence-based guidelines you know, from the World Health Organization. Why don't you just drill down quickly and, and give us the, uh, the the short version of, of how to incorporate them?
1: So similar to NEAP, they have different steps. And the steps are based on the level of severity of the person. So steps one and two are generally what we refer to either someone who has intermittent types of symptoms or very mild, persistent symptoms. And they are looking at two types of medication in that case, controller and then a reliever. So our controller med generally across the board, the new guidelines is an inhaled corticosteroid. And so based the dosing, whether it's low, medium or high dose inhaled corticosteroid is based on the person's baseline severity. In other words, how often are they having symptoms? How often do they feel they need to use reliever? Have they had exacerbations? And so, and then there's, so step one and two, then there's three, four, and five. But the baseline is we need to be assessing their severity. We need to be determining what their controller and reliever meds are, um, and follow that through with, you know, with follow-up. So step one is a a low dose inhaled corticosteroid with Fomotorol, which is a long acting beta agonist, as needed. Um, so that concept of having to take the inhaled corticosteroid daily, um, and for people who have either intermittent or mild persistent, um, they can take it as needed, right? And what the other part of this study of this of this guideline is, they looked at short-acting beta agonists, and they found that that frequent use is actually exacerbating bronchospasm, that it's really, it actually can make this, the, the bronchospasm worse, um, and that the long-acting beta agonist specifically for motorol actually has a, a more rapid onset for bronchospasm relief, right, bronchodilation, and is more effective than the short-acting. So th- this is, this is um, you know, kind of eye-opening, So their feeling is that if you are going to use a reliever medication, it should be an inhaled corticosteroid combination with Fomotorol. And if you have insurance that won't pay for that, you can use a short-acting beta agonist, but that short-acting beta agonist should never be taken without an inhaled corticosteroid because of the risk of worsening bronchospasm.
0: Okay, so let me summarize that. So if you have mild asthma, you want to always use an inhaled corticosteroid and if it's mild persistent add a long acting beta agonist Fomotorol. um and if you've got you know worsening you know you're you've got sort of moderate persistent you want to use regular inhaled corticosteroid with Fomotorol and possibly add an anti muscarinic agent as well. Does that does that sound about right?
1: That sounds about right. So when you get up into the ah. step four and five based on severity, you would add that ele- the LAMA because of the um, additional bronchodilation and the mucolytic activity. Yeah.
0: Okay, so that's the guideline. How how well are we versed in these guidelines?
1: Well, what kind of brought this to my attention is there was a, an abstract that was presented at a recent. Uh, a pulmonology conference. And what it did is it looked at 200 and, you know, know, 250 or more, um, clinicians from primary care to allergists to pulmonologists regarding their knowledge of the new guidelines and less than 50% had knowledge of the new guidelines, uh, which is kind of scary, which means that, I mean, my guess is that that probably would translate across the board for most providers that, um, you know, that this is a significant change in how we're supposed to be treating people with asthma um, and that most most folks don't have that knowledge.
0: I think that's pretty, that, that while that's disappointing, it doesn't seem surprising. People tend to rely on what they learned when they trained and they don't always uh, keep as current as they can. And, and the GINA 2022 guidelines are really practice changing. I think people need to to uh, recognize that fact and 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 think differently about using short-acting beta agonists. So, um, all right, we've got we've got this data that shows, hey, most of us, most of us aren't using it. What are we going to do for Marcy today?
1: So Marcy, you know, she's not in an exacerbation right now. So we really need to do some assessment. We need, you know, the GINA guidelines and the NEF guidelines say that we need spirometry to find out what her severity is. Clearly, she's not in good control if she's grabbing her short-acting beta agonist five times a, a week. So we need to get that and determine what her baseline severity is. And then based on that, she's going to need an inhaled corticosteroid one way or the other, whether she's step one, you know, or all the way up. So it would the level of severity would dictate what the dose of her inhaled corticosteroid would be, low, medium, or high dose. And then um, if her insurance will cover it, we're going to give her the com- combined in- inhaled corticosteroid with motorol and in- instruct her to use it daily and to instruct her to use it as her rescue. Um, and that um, we would want to monitor how often she's needing that because that's clearly going to be... Uh, a measure of her control. Hopefully she won't need her reliever more than once or twice a week. Um, and she would use it obviously prior to exercise if that was necessary. And then also really take a dive into her allergies. You know, does she have seasonal allergies? I mean, this time of year, we're all we're all suffering. But if she's really miserable or she's that seems to be a trigger, we need to treat that. We need to get her, you know, put her on a second generation antihistamine. Or if she does seem to have, you know, pervasive allergies, we could if you know, think about sending to an allergist, have some testing done, um, and look at some of the other medications that are out there to help people who have eosinophilic asthma. Right, that we keep hearing on the in the ads. But um, she's clearly not in good control, and we gotta we gotta help her get get there.
0: Great, completely. I think you you really expanded my understanding of both asthma and how we as do we are doing as clinicians with keeping current. Thanks, Susan.
1: You're welcome. Practice pointer. New evidence supports significant changes to asthma guidelines. Be sure to familiarize yourself with changes and determine the individual severity, and then select the appropriate maintenance and rescue medications and therapies.
0: Join us next time when we discuss the latest data on when to take blood pressure medication and how it might differ from what we might have reported not that long ago. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed to claim CME credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, follow the link in the description. To stay up to date on the most recent clinical research and news, please subscribe to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine and be sure to check out primed.com for additional CME content.